0: Hi everybody, welcome back to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow my journey as an amateur piano player, starting at intermediate level and hopefully advancing to concert level pieces one day. The title of this podcast gets part of its name from my own personal goal of wanting to play Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, hopefully on this very podcast. And if I keep saying it every week in this podcast intro, it's bound to come true, right? Well, we'll see. Anyway, until that day happens, we take a look at a piece I encounter along the road spanning from Baroque all the way up to modern day, and I try to provide you with some historical background and some musical theory for context. This is episode 4.2, the second episode of a series called Back to the Basics with Bergmuller where we are dissecting Bergmuller's Opus 100, 25 Progressive Pieces. And since these 25 pieces are all short etudes, we're not just going to talk about one at a time, but three of them per week. We discussed etudes number 1, 2, and 4 last week, and today we'll look at three more. But before we dive into another etude, I wanted to bring up an article that came out in the most recent edition of Pianist Magazine which could not have been better timed to go along with this Bergmuller series. And to all the listeners in the future, first of all, this is 2021, and the world is very weird. I hope things are better where you're at. And this article I'm talking about is from issue 119. The article talks about how people learning to play the piano don't tend to appreciate playing the quote-unquote boring etudes before jumping into the work of someone like Chopin. It discusses some of the lesser etude-writing composers, like Czerny, Gurlitt, and our buddy, Bergmüller. The article sheds some more light on the history of this era, saying that during the early to mid-19th century, the prime time for Bergmüller, the piano was really catching on as an instrument, and people wanted to learn how to play this thing rather than just have it sitting around looking pretty in their house. The market of learning to read music stems back to this time. Bergmuller cashed in on this demand by writing pieces catered to the piano student. Most of the time, piano writing shooting for this market is dry and uninspired. But the article praises Bergmuller's writing as sophisticated and skillfully written. They even go as far as to single out Opus 100, number 2, an etude titled Arabesque. Hmm, sound familiar? Calling this simple little piece, quote unquote, wonderful. It's rare to see anyone outside of piano teachers even bring up the name Bergmuller, so when I saw this article come through my mailbox days after posting the first episode from this Bergmuller series, I took it as a sign. I just had to share it. As an aside, And I'm by no means getting advertising money from them. But I'm open, hint, hint, Pianist Magazine. But just as a free plug, if you're an intermediate level piano student, a subscription to Pianist Magazine would be a worthwhile investment. Every edition comes with a handful of articles, but the true highlight is around 40 pages of sheet music, ranging from beginner all the way to advanced. They usually only include about one advanced piece per issue though, so most of the music is accessible and centered at the intermediate level. And if you ever want to stretch your skills, it's nice to have a piece around that's a little out of your reach. It also includes a CD of audio recordings for these pieces, plus written instruction and analysis from a variety of performance experts. It's a good value. Definitely look into it if it sounds like something you'd be interested in. Okay, commercial break's over. Let's get back to Opus 100. We're going to skip number 5 and number 6, and go on to number 7, an etude titled The Clear Stream. This is actually my personal favorite from this collection. It's fun to play, and it introduces an important element of piano playing, bringing out a hidden melody. This piece also follows the rounded binary form that we learned last week A, B, A. During the A section, the right hand plays a continuous stream of triplets, and a triplet is a group of three notes that equals one beat. So in a standard measure of four beats, we'd have one, two, three, four. Triplets would be one, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three. But the catch to this etude is that only the first note in each triplet carries the actual melody. So let's listen to the opening bars first, and then I'll try to explain what I mean. Okay, let's try to break this down a little bit. I'm going to focus on the right hand and play it without any regard to the melody. Just straight what's on the page so you can see that while it sounds just fine we lose the sense of the melody here now I'm gonna play just the first note of each triplet this is the true melody that is hidden So as a performer, this is the sound that we are trying to emphasize and bring out. Everything else, just icing on the cake. So in order to do this, we play the first note of the triplet a little bit louder, and everything else, a little bit softer. This should be subtle enough to make it all blend together, but the melody should come out clearly. And now the only thing left is to add the simple left hand, which just alternates between two notes, which allows the student to focus on bringing out the melody in the right hand. There, much more interesting. The constant triplets are supposed to represent the clear water of a murmuring stream, like the title suggests. So you'll know when the B section begins, as it trades the right-handed melody to the left hand, but continues the triplet feel. Then, to complete the ABA rounded binary form, we have a return to the A section to complete the piece. So this is not only another good example of musical ABA form, but an example of creating a natural musical soundscape and an exercise in drawing out a hidden melody. This is Bergmuller's Opus 100. Number 7. The Clear Stream You know it's a great piece to learn, because it sounds more difficult than it actually is. But let's move right along to etude number 8. This one is titled, Graceful. This etude is a shameless exercise in practicing a musical ornament called a turn. Ornaments are flourishes that are not really essential to the melody or the harmony, but they exist to add decoration and make the music more interesting. Ornamentation was especially popular during the Baroque era, and this particular etude has kind of that ornate Baroque feel because it's loaded with examples of this turn ornamentation. Let's hear a few measures so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. So, the turn symbol on a piece of sheet music looks like a sideways letter S. When you see that symbol above a note, we're going to call this the home note. You execute an ornament composed of four notes. The note in the scale above the home note, and you come back down to the home note. Take the note in the scale below the home note, and then you end it by coming back to the home note. So again, to shorten that, you go above, home, below, home. So you can see why it's labeled with an S, as it kind of snakes around the home note. So let's run through a quick example of this, starting with our friend, middle C. So if we saw a sideways S above a C during a piece written in C major, to execute the turn, we would start on a C, go up to D, go back home to C, go down to B, and then come back home to C. But, because this is just an ornament, all of this must happen very quickly. So, in actuality, it should sound something like this. And you'll hear plenty of examples of this during the etude, as it's the major lesson here. Etude number 8 also follows Bergmuller's favorite form of rounded binary, which is ABA. And similar to his other etudes in this form, you will know when we hit the B section when the left hand starts executing the turns, then we return back to the A section, where the right hand resumes the lead and takes us to the end. I haven't counted an exact number, but let's listen to all of the turns that Bergmuller loaded into this little etude. This is Opus 100, number 8 Graceful. I counted fifty. What'd you get? There are two runs in the A section that actually are just scales going up and down and are not true turns, so don't be fooled by those. Those don't count. <laughs> okay, let's take this momentum right into the third A two of the day. We're going to keep the consecutive streak going and take a look at A two number nine, called the Chase. This is another example of a programmatic piece meaning it's trying to illustrate a story through music. And in this case, it's a story of a fox hunt. This piece also takes a break from rounded binary form and utilizes something we haven't talked about since the very first episode with Fur Elise, the rondo form. To review, rondo form is A B A C A. So let's kill two foxes with one stone and tell the story of this piece while going through the rondo form. So the piece actually opens with an introduction marked with the instruction, imitating hunting horns. This just makes me imagine a king's hunting party on horseback, with some of the people in the back playing those really long medieval trumpet things. So from that little trumpet fanfare, we move on to part A of the rondo form. This part is written in C major, and simulates the horses and dogs cantering along the trail, hot on the scent of the fox. This part also repeats a second time, more quietly, suggesting an echo as the hunting team races by. Part B comes in quiet, and this part is written in the dominant minor. The term dominant refers to the fifth tone of the scale. So since this piece opened in C major, the dominant minor would be... C D E F G G minor. The minor key lends this part of the piece a kind of sad sound, which makes me think part B is written in the eyes of the fox, who sees the hunting dogs approaching. Run, little fox, run. Following the rondo form, we have an identical return to the catering horses and dogs of part A in C major. Everyone's still racing after that poor little fox. Then we enter part C. Part C also switches back from major to minor, but this time it's written in the relative minor key of C major, which is a concept we discussed last week in episode 4.1. To review, a relative minor is the key a minor third, or a whole step plus a half step, down from the major key, and both of these keys share the same notes, only in a different order. So the relative minor of C major is, I'll give you a quick second to think and remember, just remember it's a whole step and a half step down from C, so that is A minor. I'm sure all you smart listeners got that one right. So part C is also written in a sad minor key, and is marked dolente, which means sorrowfully, or perhaps more fittingly, mournfully, because I'm pretty sure this is the part of the piece where our little fox friend gets eaten by the dogs. So much for the fox and the hound, huh? So after we say a quick word for the fox, the rondo form completes with a return to part A, where the horses and dogs gallop away with their prize. Then we have an outro, similar to the introduction, with an echo of the hunting horns, which start out loudly and taper off, quietly and more quietly, as the hunting party disappears across the horizon. So see if you can appreciate this little story of a sad unlucky fox, written in the rondo form of A, B, A, C, A. Keep in mind that parts B and C switch to minor keys, so that's your tip-off. Here's Bergmuller's Opus 100, number 9, The Chase. Well, that'll do it for today. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you learned a little something and appreciated some Bergmuller. Check in next week and we'll go over three more etudes. The standalone recordings for the three etudes we discussed in this episode can be found in the podcast feed. We ended up skipping etudes number 6 and number 10 for this episode, but if you'd like to hear those, I will be adding them to my SoundCloud page. I've included a playlist there called All Music, No Talk, if you'd like to stream all of the piano recordings from this podcast without interruptions from the vocal episodes. You'll also see a playlist with all of the etudes from Bergmuller's Opus 100 in numerical order. I'll be adding to that list as we go along, and by the end of this series, you'll be able to stream the complete work. If you'd like to get in touch with me to tell me all about your personal favorite etude from Bergmuller's Opus 100, mine's number 7 for the record, or if you have any other questions or feedback, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or by email at podcast at gmail.com. Also, it's a huge help for new listeners to find the show if you take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcast. I appreciate you and your listening support. All right, same time next week. Talk to you then.